0: Hello Bryans, and possibly not Bryans, this is All the Bryans, where a Brian interviews Bryans. And this episode is brought to you by Ejection Parachutes. Most spectacularly used seconds before Captain Brian Bew's stuck piston sent his CF-18 Hornet exploding into the ground. Ejection Parachutes. The quickest way for Bryans to perform an Irish goodbye. So, this episode's Brian is all the way on the other side of the planet from this Brian, proving once again that Bryans are everywhere. But the Bryans I've learned about on that side of the world are facing some very interesting but very tough situations. Here's Brian to explain.
1: My name is Brian Hugh, and I am a reporter and journalist. Um, I run a publication called New Blue Magazine, uh, one of the founding editors. And we write on social movements and youth culture, primarily in Taiwan, but also in Hong Kong and other places in the Asia-Pacific.
0: Yeah, thank you for being the first Brian on the podcast that's currently in the Asia-Pacific region. You know, you're clearly expanding our thesis that Brian's are everywhere, <laughs> um, and That's uh, right. yeah, which which city uh, are you based out of right now?
1: I'm uh, based out Taipei actually. Taipei. So i'm based off Taipei. Um, but I was there for the uh, protest in Hong Kong a few weeks ago, and I've been monitoring and continuing to report mm-hmm. on events since then.
0: And I guess just like the first thing, I think that'd be helpful because a lot of people might not know even like the context or background of the governments there. So I was wondering if you could just. Kind of briefly give us just a little bit of a lay of the land of both um, Hong Kong and Taiwan and their like their relationship to like mainland China, for just Brian's mm-hmm. like me who didn't know or don't know.
1: Um, so to start with uh, Taiwan, uh, China claims well, Ch- both Taiwan and Hong Kong. Uh, Taiwan has a history of settlement from immigrants from uh, China going back 400 years. However, uh, it was originally populated by an indigenous population. And so there have been residents of Taiwan who don't have a connection to China in the the way that the Chinese government claims uh, for thousands and thousands of years. Um, But then after 1947, with after the defeat uh, of the Chinese Nationalist Party to the Chinese Communist Party during the Chinese Civil War, um, the Chinese Nationalist Party retreated to Taiwan and they brought with them uh, what later constituted around 10% of the population. Um, And so then they claim that Taiwan has been part of China from time immemorial as well. In order to justify the kind of uh, the claim that they they rule Taiwan, Um, you know, there's this kind of divergent history going back for quite a long time. But um, because of that, you know, uh, both the governments of Taiwan and China claim that Taiwan is and has always been part of China, and that's actually somewhat questionable. Um, That's just put this very complicated story in a uh, thirty second recap.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, otherwise, we would be talking for hours in a history podcast. Exactly.
1: Exactly. (laughs) Um, So Hong Kong is a little different. Hong Kong is a British colony, a former British colony. And it was returned to Chinese control in 1997 with the promise that the government system of Hong Kong would not change for 50 years. And uh, that it would retain the democratic uh, measures which had been introduced by the British uh, during the tail end of the colonial period until at least 2047. Uh, One country, two systems is how it was phrased. However, China didn't have any real intention of agreeing to that, and so you've seen the deterioration of political freedoms in the uh, years that have been in decades since the 1997 handover. Uh, As a result, um, for example, if you can be blocked from running from office now, or if you win a, a position in, for example, the Legislative Council, you can be disqualified because Beijing doesn't like your political views and there are assaults on journalists, uh, increasing restrictions on media freedom and that kind of thing. And so the situation's not great, and that's why you have uh, these protests currently in Hong Kong. And you had actually a similar set of protests in Taiwan in uh, 2014. Uh, They're referred to as the uh, Sunfire Movement, which uh, by publication actually was formed uh, in the context of.
0: Oh, okay, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Um, So just to kind of recap, it's like Taiwan basically has its own independent government of China. Does China recognize that, the independence?
1: Um, it doesn't, it doesn't, because uh, they're historically enemies, and so uh, you have this kind of complicated relationship in which you have two governments claiming to be the actual real China. Um, and if you actually look at the, uh, the constitution of the Republic of China, which is, that is, say, Taiwan today, uh, versus the People's Republic of China, which is China, uh, the borders actually claimed by the Republic of China, that is, Taiwan, are actually larger than the Contemporary People's Republic of China. Uh, it includes Mongolia, for example. And so it's actually just this uh, strange kind of ghost government that ended up in Taiwan, this uh, government in exile. Um, That being said, though, the uh, current administration is not a pro-unification party. And I think a lot of young people, such as myself, of my generation, uh, we would not identify as Chinese, uh, just this kind of odd historical legacy. Um, And I think that many people would not even identify with the Republic of China. They would just identify only with Taiwan. yeah, it's kind of a it's odd uh, a situation regarding sort of identity and cultural identity.
0: Yeah, so the government in Taiwan then, even though it's not recognized as independent from in China's perspective, mainland China's perspective, it does kind of it does uh, operate like independently, basically. In, in, in yeah, that's right. Sense. It's
1: a de facto independent state. Um, it has its own government, its own currency, economy, military, yeah. uh, and so forth. Um, but, uh, uh, and,
0: so, and so then in Hong Kong, is it the difference is, is that mainland China does recognize the slightly autonomous government that's going on in yeah, Hong Kong. It's, yeah, okay. it's
1: referred to as a special autonomous region. Um, and it's interesting because Hong Kong, uh, it is sort of like a city-state, and there's not a lot of other precedents for this in the, in the world, really, apart from, let's say, Singapore, which is also a city-state despite being a nation. Um, but the, the the issue at stake is that the Chinese government does seek to have Hong Kong to come just like any other Chinese city. And so uh, that, that's one of the reasons why there are these protests.
0: But basically these protests in Hong Kong, I heard that it was like there was, there was a murder in Taiwan that kind of like has been the kind of the catalyst for the law that people are, are all protesting. So can you kind of just like walk us through then kind of how this whole movement has come about or the whole protests have come about and what they're exactly protesting?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's actually very interesting because uh, Hong Kong has extradition treaties with uh, 20 or so countries. And so if you committed a crime uh, in those countries, then I mean, uh, how do I phrase this, uh, it was actually a case in which uh, two Hong Kong students traveled to Taiwan on vacation, uh, two uh, college students, and one, the, the man murdered the woman. Uh, he believed that uh, he was being cheated on. And so there's actually no way for him to be extradited to Taiwan to face charges related to that murder because of the fact that Hong Kong lacks an extradition treaty with Taiwan. Um, so then the notion was to pass some kind of extradition treaty so that this could happen, that he could face charges in Taiwan. Um, he is being held in Hong Kong on the basis of theft and not murder. Um, but then I think the Hong Kong government saw this as an opportunity to pass an extradition bill, which could also allow Hong Kong residents to be extradited to China, to face charges in China. And so example, uh, for example, if you're criticizing the Chinese government then, perhaps even if you're in Hong Kong, you could be deported to China to face charges there. And so that's why this provoked uh, such panic. And uh, it's actually interesting because after that, um, after the Hong Kong government sort of made its intentions known, the Taiwanese government stated that it would not be extraditing this individual to Taiwan to face charges because of the fact that if it did that under the framework of this law, for example, this would have such a large effect on the political freedoms of all Hong Kongers, not just this one case. Um, This one case would lead to the loss of freedoms that all Hong Kongers currently enjoy.
0: Um, Would you say that the 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 volume of protesters was kind of unexpected because it was kind of just this massive amount of people? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Because yeah, it seemed it like Because that made
0: headlines here of just like you know that there were just these millions of people now taking to the streets for uh, going towards the the parliament or wherever to protest mm-hmm. this, which I th- it, it seemed like under the context that it was a little bit unexpected, just like the the size of these things.
1: Yeah, yeah, because there were protests uh, five years ago at the um, umbrella movement, um, but that was nowhere near as large as this. And that was maybe like over 100,000 people, but some of the protests you've been seeing now are 1 million or 2 million people. Um, the total population of Hong Kong is only around like 6 or 7 million, and so this
0: is more oh, wow,
1: than yeah. 30% of the population. Um, yeah. People think that by proportion these are the largest protests in modern history.
0: Wow, yeah, that's that's crazy, and I've seen some of the footage from uh, some of the articles that you've you've done, and it seems, uh, yeah, it's pretty, it's getting pretty intense. It sounds like it's becoming more of a regular way of life, is how people are looking at it. But would you say they are going to be escalating in terms of like, uh, I don't know, confrontation, or is it just going to be kind of like a continual thing that so it doesn't like the movement doesn't filter out, and so you just kind of keep pressure on this law from not being passed, or do you see it? Yeah, I guess. What are what are your yeah. thoughts on that? <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, it's a very good question uh, because I think actually before today, I was even thinking that the strategy the Hong Kong government and its masters in Beijing are taking is uh, to wait for the protests to fizzle out and people to get exhausted and, and not being willing to go out and protest every day or weekend or whatever, um, similar to what happened with the umbrella movement in 2014 after 79, if I recall, days. Um, but it looks like today that that actually might not be the strategy, it might actually just be coming in with overwhelming force. Um, So today, actually, uh, even just now, uh, currently ongoing as we're speaking, uh, there are attacks on demonstrators by uh, individuals thought to be gangsters hired by the Hong Kong government, uh, which is a strategy it also took in 2014. uh, Hiring gangsters to attack protesters to do the things that uh, would go beyond the line for police to do. And uh, police actions have also been increasingly brutal, just firing uh, large amounts of tear gas, rubber bullets, um, pallet bags, uh, going with batons and beating up protesters. And uh, that level of violence, is uh, it was not seen in the past, uh, it's just gotten worse and worse. And so it does seem like that uh, increasing pressure is coming in to try to put down protests, to scare people away from uh, protesting through the threat of violence.
0: Um, even though the government there, they they agreed to suspend the bill, yeah, it just means it's temporarily suspended until maybe the pressure subsides, so it's, the protesters mm-hmm. are really trying to get basically permanent withdrawal of this law, is that correct?
1: Um. Yeah, that's correct. And it's actually a question why the government has not withdrawn the bill. Otherwise, um, there are actually some reports. Uh, the Financial Times actually reported that the head of government in Hong Kong, uh, Carrie Lam, the chief executive, had actually offered to resign because that is also one of the protesters' demands that she resign to take responsibility for this bill and for the police violence and so forth. Um, but that it's uh, according to this report, Beijing will not allow her to step down. And in the meantime, you know, once in a while she'll hold like a press conference. Uh, well, she's trying to minimize public appearances, but she'll hold a press conference and say. I'm sorry. The bill is temporarily suspended. It will die a natural death. But for some reason, he she always just stops short of saying that it's fully withdrawn, and that's what the demonstrators want to ensure that this bill does not pass. So it could still be passed within like two weeks uh, under its current condition.
0: And so, the umbrella movement. What were the causes of that protest and like the movement itself?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, it's very interesting because uh, the demand during that protest was for universal suffrage, for there to be. Genuine uh, democracy realized in Hong Kong and that, that these democratic freedoms would not be taken away by China. And it's actually very interesting because uh, China has taken an authoritarian turn in the last five years under Xi Jinping, um, the president. And that actually, uh, in 2014, back when the Sunflower Movement and the Umbrella Movement happened, there was all this concern about the loss of freedoms to China. Uh, that was actually only two years into Xi Jinping's presidential term. And things have just gotten way worse since, as uh, we see in Hong Kong. with. Uh, the kidnapping of political dissidents, and they're reappearing in China uh, to face charges from within the Hong Kong borders, or like I mentioned, the disqualification of uh, electoral candidates, people running for office. Um, And also just you have the uh, mass detention of Uyghurs in Xinjiang in Western China for their religion. Um, It's thought that over one million Uyghurs are in concentration camps, Um, we call them concentration camps. And so this actually had not occurred five years ago, things have just gotten that much worse. And so this was more a kind of a, a positive demand in terms of demanding uh, democracy, not this kind of defensive demand that, you know, to have this bill withdrawn. Um, so things have changed. I think have gotten a lot grimmer and worse in Hong Kong. And that's also reflected in, in the increasing size of protests, but also the increasing, I think, desperation of protesters.
0: The term like Trojan horse has kind of like been thrown around for like this, basically this extradition law. Because be, even though people might be in favor of extraditing that murderer to Taiwan to face charges, mm-hmm. they don't want this quote-unquote, Trojan horse, where then China can then extradite people for whatever reason, you know, the government sees. I was reading something about some, like, there's, like, a bookstore on the, near, right. the border of, like, Hong Kong where there's a history of, since they would they would be publishing, like, kind of, like, scandalous or things about mm. the personal lives of the ruling class <laughs> in China, and then people from publishing that thing just started disappearing and, you know, reappearing mm. in, yeah, exactly. in China. So they're afraid uh, yeah. of people just starting to kind of, like, disappear if they're in opposition towards yeah. the mainland China East government. Is that kind of...
1: Yeah, that's right. And the thing is, that occurred secretly. That occurred, uh, you know, it, it definitely occurred with the cooperation of Hong Kong authorities, but the kidnapping of those booksellers, the Causeway Bay booksellers, had occurred occur clandestinely. And with this new law, you could do this publicly and openly. Um, it's even a fear that if you're a critic of China that's just passing through Hong Kong, let's say myself, you know, I'm taking a plane to Hong Kong, uh, because the Hong Kong airports, international airports, sees a lot of air traffic transferring to other locations. Let's say I'm trying to get to the Philippines or something, I transfer to Hong Kong Airport, I could actually potentially get dragged off the plane and sent to China because of writings of mine criticizing China and so forth, because of the fact I'm in Hong Kong. And so this could have very, very wide-reaching applications, and that's actually something that's uh, quite scary.
0: Yeah, I mean, this has like something like a very like uh, direct effect to your to your life. Exactly. <laughs> um, so. It just sounds like uh, the people in Hong Kong are just becoming very suspicious and just don't trust their basically their government um now there's like you know they're even like having mobsters fight the protesters and things like that, so it's a completely different type of situation in Taiwan it just sounds like. The situation is just kind of worse off in Hong Kong like is that pretty in terms of a democratic sense is that a good way to generalize it? I think that's true. Or, yeah.
1: think that's true. Um, there's a, there's a, a pro-China party in Taiwan that does pro-unification and the scary thing is that they're kind of resurgent. Um, it's actually one of those very puzzling things that people will actually vote into power a party that uh, wishes to ensure that there's no democracy in Taiwan and so though Taiwan is a fully functioning democracy and you don't see these kind of levels of police brutality and so forth um, You still do have things occurring in Taiwan. I mean, there also are pro-Beijing gangsters in Taiwan. And during the Sunfire movement in 2014, for example, they did come out and threaten uh, the demonstrators and that kind of thing. And uh, again, it is it's one of those big questions that, you know, why would you actually vote for a party that wishes for your country to cease to exist and to become part of uh, China, which is authoritarian. And, you know, those, those political freedoms you have and enjoy. On an everyday basis, will just disappear, such as you been just reading free news or being able to say whatever you want about the politicians that you dislike. And I think that actually people sometimes do not realize that. Um, that's a scary thing. Um, at the same time, yeah, just things are so many degrees of uh, scale worse in Hong Kong because the fact that China is literally just next door. Um, Hong Kong is separated from China by a river. Uh, Taiwan has a strait separating it from China.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess geography always plays a part in these things. Um, <laughs> and there's an election coming up, right, in January for in Taiwan? Mm, yeah, that's right. Is one like, pro-China, one's non-? Is that yeah, kind of the yeah, main that's, thrust? Yeah, that's
1: basically the situation. Uh, and so the pro-independence uh, president is uh, currently in power, and she is seeking re-election. Um, but the question is then... Uh, For example, the the candidate that the pro-China party, the KMT, the uh, Chinese Nationalist Party is, uh, which is actually the former authoritarian party, despite the fact that it it was the former authoritarian party and it enforced martial law and uh, killed tens of thousands when it was in power, it's actually still around. It just entered democratic politics as a uh, political party, and so now it runs in democratic politics. And that's actually the pro-China party. Um, So their candidate is actually surprisingly strangely popular. Um, he was actually able to mobilize a lot of popular support last year. Um, he's the mayor of the southern, uh, most the largest southern city in Taiwan, Kaohsiung. And uh, he's kind of a, thought of as a populist. Uh, people compare him to like a uh, Trump even, or a Duterte um, from the Philippines. And so uh, he does actually have appeal. And so it is a question of how can you compete against a candidate like that. And uh, he does have his following. So it's actually, it's a, it's a good question. It's a good question what will happen. And there's all these kind of, you know, last minute turns with the, the possibility that the vote will be split because of other candidates entering and that kind of thing.
0: And what is then like the media landscape in Taiwan and, and just in terms of covering all these issues, like you say you, so the publication you founded and you edit is the New Bloom Magazine. Um, like if you could compare it to like even just like the media landscape in the United States, how it's like, you know, there's left leaning and like conservative leaning publications and stuff. like. Mm-hmm. What are some of the major players, and like, how do where does like n- the new bloom kind of fit into all of that?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're a much smaller. We're an independent uh, media outlet. Also, we are primarily English, and that's a much smaller landscape. Um, I think that uh, just the reason why we we founded was because we felt there's a need for Taiwan to outreach to the international world. Um, a lot of us, you know, have spent time in the U.S., for example, such as myself, or or uh, have very good English for whatever reason, and because of things we studied in school. And so uh, that's that's why we founded this publication. Um, in terms of the Chinese language coverage, uh, it skews very heavily between the, the uh, kind of pro-China camp and the pro-independence camp. And so they almost report on completely different worlds, it feels like. Uh, just that sometimes you'll just have events disfavorable to one political camp just not being reported on in the newspapers of another. Uh, and the kind of propaganda which is mixed into news is, is kind of astounding. And there's also issues regarding uh, Chinese infiltration. Um, and so for example, um, some of it has become very crazy that the KMT candidates, the Chinese National Party candidate, uh, last month, 70% of coverage on one television network was about him, just this one person. And so that's kind of a, that's, that's a lot of coverage just to any politician, and so it's, he's everywhere. And it also is come to light, uh, according to a report by the Financial uh, Times, that some Taiwanese media outlets are actually seeking approval from China, the Chinese government, before they run stories. And so that is actually a quite deep infiltration, and that is uh, quite worrying. And so that is the other thing that affects, I think, voters and how they vote, that they, the information they get is not accurate. And we always talk about fake news nowadays because it's uh, uh, centered in, in American political discourse thanks to Donald Trump. But uh, these concerns, I think, extend worldwide, and that's uh, quite visible in Taiwan, particularly regarding uh, interference from China.
0: Yeah, no, that's super interesting. I mean, we're super now familiar with, like, the fake news side of things. We don't have, you know, official media censorship stuff, you know, so it's interesting to hear how even, like, a publication will seek out approval first before publishing something.
1: Yeah, because Taiwan is a democracy, so when this publication is accused of doing that, they just say that, oh, well, you're being authoritarian towards us, you're restricting freedom of expression. And so despite the fact that this, this, the aim of promoting these uh, kind of pro-China views is, to get rid of Taiwanese democracy, you actually use democracy as a way to defend yourself. Um, it's quite interesting.
0: And how is like the media landscape then in Hong Kong as well?
1: Is- there are the major newspapers in Hong Kong that do skew towards the kind of pro-China camp, um, and you know you do have newspapers that are much more uh, report on things, let's say, more objectively and so forth. I mean, the big one that does is more affiliated with kind of the democracy movement is the Apple Daily, which is uh, kind of interesting because it's actually very commercial and very tabloidy. And so they're actually just reporting on all this kind of celebrity gossip and things like that all the time. It's very, uh, it can be very just like, um, uh, and sometimes it sometimes just is not exactly ethical in terms of its reporting. At the same time, it is it is one of the publications that is, the major publication that's very critical of China. And so uh, it's, it's this odd situation. Um, but I think they also have issues with regards to that. and I think that uh, for example, younger people will turn toward these online media outlets because of the fact that traditional media is not really representing certain viewpoints or reports on things with a very strong bias depending on which political camp it belongs to.
0: So do you see yourself uh, you know visiting Hong Kong more and more uh, to do reporting, or do you see that like because of maybe some of the issues around this, it's gonna be harder and harder for you to, to do that? Um,
1: I think uh, for now it's okay, because uh, I was able to get there before, but I think that it's, it's increasingly become an issue if uh, things go on, I mean, I think journalists are probably eventually going to be stopped at the border at some point, um, depends on, you know, how well-known you are, what publication you write for, and so forth, but I think that will eventually start to happen. Um, there were incidents of, uh, for example, Taiwanese academics being unable to get into Hong Kong because of, uh, of uh, their political views, and that's already happened, and so I think that this will be increasingly become an issue. But um, in the meantime, yeah, I'd like to get over there again and support on things on the ground um, because of the fact that you know you can get better news if you're actually there uh, on site. Um, but yeah, it's also just a question, I think, that whenever I go to Hong Kong now, I always wonder, does that make sense? Is this the last time I'll be able to get to Hong Kong? Um, that's a concern, I think, increasingly for a lot of people.
0: Yeah, and on the flip side, it's, it It sounds like there's a good amount of peop, like Hong Kong protesters that then want to like seek asylum then in Taiwan, is that correct?
1: Yeah, that's right. And that's actually quite interesting because of,
0: uh, you know, as we mentioned
1: regarding this uh, murder case being the the cause of the attempt to pass this uh, extradition law uh, because of the fact that the Taiwanese government said that we're not going to pass this law and because of the fact that there was no extradition agreement between Taiwan and Hong Kong, on the contrary, then it became a place of refuge for Hong Kong protesters that might be facing charges. Uh, The charge that's uh, really deadly is a quote unquote rioting in which you can face up to 10 years in jail. And so a lot of these demonstrators are in their 20s or 30s. Uh, Some are college students, some even teenagers and reports are that over 30 have fled to Taiwan already uh, since the attempted occupation of the Legislative Council on July 1st, and that it's uh, rumored or reported on that uh, another 30 might be considering coming. And so that is uh, happening right away. Um, I mean, the United States is is another option, but the United States actually has a extradition treaty with Hong Kong, and the UK is another option, particularly because Hong Kong used to be a British colony, but the UK also has an extradition treaty with Hong Kong. Um, So Taiwan seems like a good option at present.
0: I'm, I'm curious to just kind of like what's a typical day like for you kind of just covering these stuff. It sounds like you're, a, you're an editor and a writer for a different another publication. Um, mm. how What's a typical day in your life there?
1: It's actually very funny because I think just typically I just sit at home in front of a computer and that's about it. I mean like for example, uh, my parents for example just think I watch YouTube videos for a living or something like that. Uh, <laughs> so I, <laughs> yeah I mean oftentimes it is just uh, with protests like this, it's being glued to a lot of different live streams, watching more than one live stream at a time and determining what's going on, looking at social media, uh, looking at these kind of different well-known activists and what they're posting on social media, uh, to trying to figure out what's going on. I mean, that's reporting on events from afar. Uh, But if I'm there on the ground doing a field report, I'm usually, uh, sometimes I'm providing live updates. I'm taking photos, uh, writing, you know, what's going on, what I see and so forth. And then once enough uh, time has passed, I think uh, there's enough to write a report. I'll sit down somewhere and write a report. Sometimes in the middle of a protest site and that kind of thing. Um, when I was in Hong Kong, there were a few times in which I had just like, you know, grab my laptop and run from Prime police because they were coming in while I was just sitting there typing. Um, and you know, it depends on what else I do. I mean, also I might be doing interviews. Uh, it depends on, you know, what's uh, what's newsworthy and what's worth focusing on. We're um, just meeting with people to talk. Um, you know, I also do media appearances periodically. Like, and there's to be some. There, there's to some degree which I'm a talking head, I feel like, on like radio or occasionally television, um, which is strange. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, stuff like that. I find it very strange.
0: Well, since this is, you know, a, a Brian media outlet, I guess we, it would be a disservice if we didn't mention the article where you uh, had a connection to another Brian that's in the middle of all these uh, protests, uh, do you want to briefly uh, just describe who this other Brian is? Yeah, so
1: the other Brian is uh, Brian Kaiping Liang or young Lian Kaiping, uh, whose English name is also Brian. And uh, he is a youth activist from Hong Kong that was doing a PhD in America. And he was uh, among the, the protesters that got into the Legislative Council and tried to occupy it. He was the only one to take off his mask. Uh, one of the big differences between the protests five years ago and the Umbrella Movement and the present is that uh, facial recognition software has gotten a lot better. And the government has gone after these prominent activists. And so activists uh, or demonstrators in the street in Hong Kong nowadays usually hide their identities in their face, uh, they wear masks and helmets. And he took off his mask and revealed his identity to try to urge people to stay. He called for making an occupation of the legislature. Um, He actually specifically cited Taiwan when he said that, because of the fact that the Sunfire Movement in Taiwan in 2014 involved the student occupation of the legislature for a month. And I knew him because I was a former student activist myself, Uh, so I knew him through active circles. I met him in Hong Kong several years ago because of that. And then later on, we were at a conference, which was about the Sunfire movement and umbrella movement. Uh, four years later, comparing and tracing the different movements, and so uh, it was unusual that then I had I knew this person that was involved in this kind of dramatic incident, which was reported on in international news, and that he was the one who took his face off, uh, his mask off, and made his face known and uh, revealed his identity. And so I felt uh, compelled to write about that, uh, about knowing him and and just uh, the comparisons between, I think, Taiwan and Hong Kong, that there's this similar issue and that there's these similar movements and so forth. Um, Yeah, and it's a coincidence that uh, we're both named Brian. I mean, I'm the Taiwan Brian and he's the Hong Kong Brian, and that's uh, what people said at uh, the, the conference we were at.
0: Wait, so where is he now? Do you know or is he kind of off the grid?
1: He's off the grid, and nobody knows. Um, there are some reports that he's left Hong Kong, but those are not confirmed, and those are actually usually from the kind of uh, the outlets that put out quite a deal, a good deal of Chinese propaganda. And so the claim is that you know he fled right away after that. Uh, but it's it, nobody really knows, and because the thing is that he is the one that the government will make an example of, because that he was the only one to take off his uh, mask in that uh, attempted occupation, and so he could be facing up to ten years in jail, and. Uh, well, if yeah, he yeah, if yeah.
0: he wants to seek asylum in Taiwan, will you uh, will you offer uh, your couch to this fellow, Brian? Uh, yeah, definitely,
1: of course. <laughs> I mean, I don't actually have a couch, but <laughs> we can figure out some arrangement.
0: Yeah. How can people like uh, you know abroad, not necessarily there, like do anything to help out, or where, or at the very least, where can they just at least read uh, you know unbiased local news about these issues?
1: What might be most important is actually international awareness that, that there is this pressure on, let's say, the Chinese government or the Hong Kong government, that the world is watching and that uh, these events will not go unnoticed. And I think that's actually what is important to do. Um, there have been, for example, solidarity rallies organized around the world in different cities by usually the local Hong Kong diaspora in different cities. And so that is, uh, I think I think contributing that is, is a good way to help out and I think that uh, just, just awareness is, is very important. Um, local media outlets. I think that the uh, Hong Kong Free Press is what I recommend for Hong Kong. It's also an independent media outlet, and it was founded in the wake of the Umbrella Movement. And uh, I mean, for Taiwan, I would recommend New Bloom. Uh, of course, you know, yeah, obviously <laughs> I help run it. <laughs> of course, um, yeah, yeah. And so I think uh, I think I, I think awareness is actually the the most important thing right now. Just keeping the world's eyes on what's going on currently, and that's that's one way to at least make sure that this is not just swept under the rug and it doesn't come to a bad ending. and Nobody knows what will happen, but I think that that's that's what is most necessary right now.
0: Okay, great to know, yeah. Um, well, aside from these hot-button, you know, regional political issues, like, what else do you like to cover there, you know, that's not so uh, intense, I guess I would say? Um,
1: yeah, quite a lot of other things. So, arts and culture is also an interest of mine. Like, I do gallery reviews, for example, or film reviews. Um, I'm also a, a DJ, I believe. Or not. So,
0: (laughs) I have have
1: an interest in music, I I, you know, and things like that. Um, So cultural stuff. I mean, that's the other thing I'm kind of interested in. And New Bloom is more politically focused. But we originally had a kind of cultural section, which uh, sort of declined as time went on because we became more and more politically focused.
0: Yeah. So can you talk a little bit then about kind of like your your route to uh, Taipei and Taiwan, and like since I now know you 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 spent some good amount of time in New York.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, there's was kind of an odd uh, situation in which I just happened to be in Taiwan when the Sunflower Movement happened, and I was I graduated from college one year at that point, so I was basically basically in the same age as all the other students, and so I was a participant in the movement as a student activist, and I just thought that maybe there's more I could do if I, I stayed in Taiwan instead of just uh, uh, in the U.S. And so I did I didn't M.A. after that in New York, uh, coming back to New York, and then after that I decided to, to just permanently relocate to Taiwan and stay there because I thought there was just more I could do. Um, the set I have is, is here is maybe rarer than in the United States regarding English and writing and translation and editing. And so I thought I could maybe make more of a difference that way. And I think that's, uh, that's kind of what led to my decision to just settle in Taiwan.
0: So what, uh, what was the original reason then for you going there in the first place, aside from not staying there?
1: Uh, just kind of like, you know, not knowing what to do with my life after college. And so, uh, you know, growing up in the United States, my reading and writing skills were not actually great in Mandarin, or in Chinese, um, and so I thought I could work on that a little. And so uh, that's actually why I was in uh, Taiwan at the time, ah, so just, okay. uh, you know, working on right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, just after that, it's, uh, somehow it just ended up that I ended up being sucked into this odd movement. And it is just, just a strange set of coincidences that I was there at the right time, and the right place, and meet the right people. And it's kind of very strange for me to think about just that, you know, how much my life has shifted in the past five years between New York and Taipei. And,
0: that kind of thing. My uh, my friend uh, my friend wants to know if you've <laughs> been to the top of Taipei 101.
1: Oh yeah, I have actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I've been there more than once, mostly as a kid. I remember when Taipei 101 was being built. Actually, um, it's actually just still like the tallest building by far in the area, so it's actually a great view to see the city below you. Um, you can see the mountains and things like that too.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and it's just kind of like. So, like, the the way the skyline is there, it's, like, it, that's, like, just this one building that kind of, like, dominates everything, right?
1: Exactly. Yeah, I think it's just basically, um, I remember at the time, actually, I think it was a competition in China that, uh, you know, Taiwan that has the tallest building in the world, and they were building, they want to build a taller building in Shanghai, and so they add something to Taipei like 101, or to make it even taller, or something like that. It was, it was kind of strange. I think it was kind of a national pride thing, um, just to have the tallest, what was once the tallest building in the world for a while, but now has been surpassed by a lot, um, yeah,
0: so what would you say then? Are some of the biggest like differences and similarities compared like in just life in general in in uh, Taipei, Taiwan, compared to like New York?
1: I think that uh, maybe the first thing is that public transportation is a lot better. Um, I mean, I was in New York last year and just the subways. So I was like, wow, like uh, I'm really <laughs> not used to this. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, public transportation is easier. It's a smaller city, I think. Um, for a lot of people, they would feel it's a slower pace of life. I mean, for me, I think it's a little different that actually feel a lot more busy when i'm here than compared to new york um it's also just very convenient just uh, there's convenience stores everywhere and they do everything from uh you can buy like hot meals there or get coffee uh it's like there's small well, you know they're convenience stores uh but you can also pay your electricity and water bill there you can buy tickets for movies and concerts um you can pick up packages uh it's, just, it's a it's quite a, it's, it's a quite a convenient society um it's also a, a, it is a small place. I mean, it's actually not as small country as I think a lot of people think, but it's a very densely packed country. And so everyone seems to know everybody. Um, it's sometimes different from, for example, how big New York City is and, and that kind of thing. Uh, it sometimes can get a little small and feel a little boring because of that, but I think it's always just kind of a trade-off.
0: Yeah, so is your network of, like, just people, kind of your, your community there, is it mostly through, like, journalists you met, or is it... Uh Your night is a nightlife DJ Brian is that where you (laughs) kind of go out and meet everybody
1: (laughs) Um, it's like a combination I think there's some overlap Uh, so I mean I do have a lot of friends that are journalists
0: Uh, and also I
1: think, uh, I mean a lot of my friends are like artists and musicians and things like that and that that does intersect with nightlife much more because of the fact that that's where I know a lot of artists and and, uh, you know musicians from Um, and also just some academic friends I think uh, because of the fact that I also considered going to academia once upon a time So it's actually funny because I think that actually a lot of these things overlap because of how small Taiwan is. Um, You know, 70 years of separation, it does feel like everyone knows everybody. And that that is quite surprising sometimes.
0: How long do you, so how uh, long do you plan on staying there for, is it just kind of indefinitely for the foreseeable future?
1: Yeah, I think indefinitely for the foreseeable future, but we'll just have to see. I think it depends on what happens, particularly uh, politically in the next few years. And I'll kind of have to come to a decision about, you know, whether to stay here, move elsewhere, what have you. Um, Are
0: are your parents uh, in New York?
1: Yeah, yeah, they're still in New York. And, and so how, do, how do they like, feel
0: about you being there?
1: Uh, I think they just kind of feel like they, you know, they spent a lot of energy getting out of Taiwan, and for some reason I just went back. And so it's like I feel like they, they feel like they failed. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's one of those odd things. I think also just that uh, I actually have a lot of political disagreements with them in which they are kind of more pro-China. And so it, it's one of those uh, things in which oh, they wow. kind of maybe don't always approve of, of what I'm doing. Um, I think it's quite common, actually, among uh, among people of my generation. Um, Your okay, generation, yeah. Yeah, international generational differences.
0: Oh, it's super interesting. <laughs> uh, I guess I mean we'll we'll just move on to the the Brian questions now. I don't want to keep you up too late because it's like <laughs> super late there. Um, yeah. So no, this question is: Do you know why your parents named you Brian? But this is uh, Brian is like kind of like your Western English name, but I guess it's yeah, also yeah. your name growing up in New York then. So
1: yeah, yeah. It's uh, I'm told that it's because my parents could not agree on any other name, but I don't know why they chose Brian in particular beyond that. Um, I Actually, I have a, there are quite a lot of, you know, uh, let's say, Taiwanese-American or Chinese-American Bryans, and so I feel like it's also, it is also a fairly common, I think, English name in, 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 let's say, China, Hong Kong, and Taiwan, you know, that's the other Brian. Yeah. And so I think that sometimes, I'm not sure why, though, I'm not sure why. I mean, some names, you know, you can kind of be able to point to the meaning and say that's why it's so culturally popular, let's say, Grace or Jade or a name like that. Uh, but with Ryan, I'm not too sure why, and uh, I was wondering about that, actually.
0: Oh, that is interesting. Uh, this might be a really dumb question, but, like, you wouldn't choose, like, a, an English name and then your Chinese uh, character name, or, it's not like a translation, yeah. it's just so actually, completely it's, different, it's right? It's
1: quite interesting. It's it actually, uh, some people, I think, increasingly nowadays, will actually name their kids the Chinese name with an English equivalent in mind, actually, and so there are people with very similar, like, for example, there are a lot of uh, Daways, like David, um, and so actually, the, they kind of take a both at the same time. Oh,
0: okay. So, that, um, yeah, I guess that's what yeah, I was trying to ask, different. but I didn't know how to phrase it. <laughs> yeah,
1: In other cases, it, it's, uh, it's not, like, for me, it's, it's completely unrelated. Um, but some people, some parents will actually do that. And I think also, uh, particularly in a lot of uh, Indian societies, uh, people, sometimes their English name ends up just being whatever their first English teacher decides their name to be. And so that can be very arbitrary. And uh, sometimes then you have people that kind of try to reinvent themselves by coming up with a new English name or, or something like that. I mean... That can result in some odd things. For example, there there's more than one public figure in Taiwan whose English name is Lucifer, as in the devil Lucifer. And so uh, you what? do have some uh, interesting name choices because of that.
0: Wow. Okay. <laughs> So yeah, I was wondering like what do you know like if just like how parents typically go about choosing names in Taiwan, and it sounds like you're saying some of it's just kind of arbitrary. It depends. My, it depends on who. Yeah, but sometimes people,
1: for example, like in my case, my name, my Chinese name was given to my uh, grandparents to choose, which is oftentimes traditional. Um, English names I know less about. Uh, yeah,
0: in terms of you know like
1: how parents choose.
0: Yeah. But so the Chinese name is is a lot of times like a traditional like name from a family like a. Like your your grandparents or whatever.
1: Sometimes, sometimes, most um, also times, oftentimes you'll uh, get siblings. For example, that have a the first character of their name is the same. For example, uh, my mother, like all of her siblings, like Duo, like is the first character of their name. For my father, like Ming, that's the first character of the name. And then after that, there's a like a, the second character of their their given name is, is different. So like uh, like my mother is Duo Fan, and uh, like her uh, younger sister is do Ring. And things like that. Um, so, you know, like similar names. And so you can look at a name and see who is related in that way. Um, just, you know, who shares the character. Uh, not just the surname, but also the first character of their, their given name. If yeah, so do you uh, do you have siblings? No, it's just me, actually. I don't know how my parents would have named uh, my uh, siblings if I had any.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, do you know, uh, do you happen to know why they chose the I versus I Y? I
1: don't know. Um, yeah, I'm not too sure.
0: And is, I. <laughs> Uh, more popular than why, just in what you've encountered uh, just like uh circumstantially in your experiences in like Hong Kong and Taiwan
1: That's a good question. I don't know either. um but actually a lot of people will look at the name Brian and they'll think it's the name brain as in you know like the yeah. brain that's in your head <laughs> and so actually, my father he did not realize that my my name was not brain when they named me, and so a lot of my things as a kid they have like brain on them and not Brian. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Wait, he actually thought he named you Brain? He actually thought
1: that until, like, three or four. Like, until I was, like, three or four.
0: Like. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> uh, That's pretty hilarious, actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, here's a Brian's at-large question, two-part question. Uh, dead or alive, if you had one other Brian to meet, who would it be? Uh, and then also your favorite Brian of all time.
1: Oh. Hmm. With Brian, I was thinking Brian Eno, the musician, but he's also live, and I think he'd be interesting to meet.
0: Um, yeah, okay, could be both, could be both.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, Makes
0: sense if you're a DJ. Yeah, music. <laughs> um, so here's a trivia question, um, which uh, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, it's good that you spent time in New York. I don't know how much you know American television shows appear on the media there, but this is a trivia question of which popular American cartoon TV show is almost named Brian? Uh, the name of the character is the name of the show. Oh, that's tough.
1: Um, it
0: was a uh, like a yeah, it's like a an animated cartoon character. Um, I can give you a hint. It was on the Nickelodeon network.
1: It's not Doug, is
0: it? <laughs> it was Doug. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, so I was reading this. It's like. Uh, Creator Jim Jenkins originally wanted something very uh, middle of the road, like a flat, neutral name to represent the any guy character, and was thinking okay. Brian for a while. <laughs> but then he so this is the weird part is then he ultimately felt that Brian was too fancy of a name, and then okay. like said he geared it down to start, and started calling him Doug. <laughs> I
1: think you should stuck
0: with uh, Brian. <laughs> it was just funny. It's like I get the original intention, but then I just but I don't get. That he then started yeah, to think yeah. it was too fancy of a name, like <laughs> yeah, yeah, strange. But uh, yeah, here, here's a here's a harder question though. Uh, if you had to choose a first name other than Brian, what would it be?
1: I don't know. I was thought I was felt like actually, like I mentioned, you know, regarding choosing a very questionable English name, I felt deprived of the chance to choose a very questionable English name. Um, so I think it would probably be something like that. But what I what do I name myself? <laughs> uh, yeah, there, I have like it's I it, probably just like some. Uh,
0: yeah, I have no idea.
1: <laughs> I think I think if it's me, I'd find something very pretentious. Uh,
0: so you know, uh, I think Danger Mouse, uh, that guy, yeah, a he, yeah, yeah. he's a Brian. So if you named, but if you gave yourself a first name Danger, that'd be pretty uh, pretentious. Yeah, danger, yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, overall, would you say that being a Brian has been a plus or a minus in your life?
1: I think plus. I mean, I don't think that there's anything bad that's happened to me for for being Brian.
0: Uh, Other than your father thinking you were brain for about three years. Yeah, exactly. Years.
1: <laughs> yeah, actually, my DJ name is uh, DJ Brainless,
0: which is a joke on that. Oh,
1: really? <laughs> yeah, because of the fact that so many people in Taiwan think that Brian is brain. And also, DJing is what I do to get away from intellectual activities, such as uh, you know journalism or writing things. And so
0: yeah. <laughs> that's why I'm DJ Brainless. <laughs> No, I, lo- I like that you're, you're just owning it, because, um, yeah, the next question was, like, any memorable instances of your name being misspelled Brain, and we've yeah, already covered that. But, like, looking back at all the Bryans you met in your life, uh, do you believe there are any shared common characteristics or personality traits that may stem from just being a Brian?
1: Uh, I'm not sure, actually. Yeah, I can't think of anything. I just think that, uh, I don't know, I've met a lot of creative Bryans, I think. <laughs>
0: So maybe creativity. Yeah, I think that's something we have. I think that's pretty universal from what I've met so far too. But uh, mm. all right, I mean, I think uh, we're gonna get to the last thing here now. We're we're gonna end with uh, any message you'd just like to say to all the Bryans out there.
1: Uh,
0: support the other
1: Bryans out there. Pick the ones that are uh, politically in hiding
0: currently. Yeah, it's yeah, it's a good message. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so thanks, Brian. Thanks for coming on uh, the podcast. Uh, you should go to sleep now. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, an <laughs> <laughs> and uh, if you want to read more Brian, uh, find him on at New Bloom and uh, Popula.